0: Uh, Hello, and welcome to this uh, podcast, which actually has no name. Um, It kind of came together very quickly. I just let our guest today know about it, like uh, a couple of days ago, was it? What we do know is we're here to talk about books, and uh, in particular we have two books to talk about today, which is unusual given our plan for this podcast, uh, which again will kind of expand upon um, in a few minutes. But for now, um, I'm here with uh, my co-host, Sol.
1: Hey, um, you know, like, this is very much just a a, a work in progress. So we're still sort of finding our feet here. Um, We were supposed to do like, yeah, sort of a quick introduction, sort of how we got into reading. Um, I've been sort of reading on and off, you know, definitely read a bunch when I was a kid. Um, Definitely listened to more audiobooks. I was kind of a little bit of a strange kid. I would just like listen to like the same audiobook over and over again. Um, My favorite novel growing up was I think actually Dracula, which again, kind of a strange choice for a kid. But that was sort of what I was drawn to sort of those old like, I guess, gothic romances. Um, But yeah, sort of reading on and off um, as I got older. But I think really that sort of sparked interest in reading more was in 2020, you know, when sort of all, every one of us were sort of going through change and sort of just decided, you know, hey, there's like a bunch of stuff I haven't read. And so, you know, nothing else to do. Me and my roommate at the time, you know, put together this massive list of classics and I started to read them one by one. And that sort of really really brought me back to reading and really found like a new joy of something I could do and focus on and feel like I was accomplishing like in a period of time where really felt like you know just doing the same thing every day no change so I think that's sort of where it began for me.
0: Great we also have a guest today um, in what uh, will probably be our rotating guest chair uh, we'll figure it out, again, uh, work in progress. Um,
2: this is G. Hello. Hi, G. Uh, I'm G. Uh, yeah. You sure are. Um, so, <laughs> yeah,
0: would you like to tell us about, like, your history with books, or what you've been reading recently, or anything that, like, stands out in your list of books to read in the future?
2: Yeah, um, I'm Filipino, but I grew up in the States. Uh, I've always liked, which really inculcated in me a love of reading. Uh, we had these insane book competitions in school where you had to read as much as possible in a uh, given period. So that I was an annual event. So I read a lot of books then. I was actually there where I... Well, no, it was in the library where I discovered what would be my favorite book as a child, uh, Wizard of Earthsea. Spoilers for today's episode, kind of. Yeah, um, there's
0: a reason we chose you for our first guest <laughs> to spot.
2: Uh, and there was this really good teacher I had in fourth grade who uh, really nourished our artistic skills and he encouraged me to go into writing but when i came back to the philippines and uh, entered college i came in as a as an architecture student but early on in my uh, first semester i got seduced away from architecture by my creative writing teacher and i shifted into creative writing where i which i did finish uh, and i thought writing at a national University after graduating, but I left um, because I'd been there for too long. I, I wanted to see the world. But anyway, um, I've been in love with books on and off for the past decade or so, and recently I've been really trying to get it back into them, which is why I uh, really made the effort to join book club again. Um, I think the highlight of my past year reading books was like, I started reading uh, Toni Morrison's uh, bibliography from the start. And I stopped after around three or four books at Beloved. But yeah, I've been really trying to expand my reading horizons. And which is why I said yes to appearing on this
0: podcast yeah um as for me i think i've had like two big periods of reading in my life um the first one went from like the end of high school to the end of university um i like devoured books back then uh but a lot of used books uh mostly classics uh i wasn't really exposed to like Modern stuff or like modern sci-fi, which is what I would eventually come to kind of love, uh, mostly because, well, I am from Costa Rica and mostly back then it's gotten better since then. um, But what was sold in like mainstream bookstores, which were the only bookstores that you could find, was either classics that had already been translated like a million years ago or like... um, whatever got made into a movie, so bookstores thought it would sell well. And that's kind of uh, what I had access to, except for, like, very specific stuff, like Murakami, because that was the time that he got really popular. And then after university, I kind of went into a lull. I, I think, like, reading didn't really fit my schedule anymore. And it wasn't until, like, 2019, I think, when I actually... Got uh, used a Kindle that used to be my brother's, and now I don't use a Kindle because Amazon sucks, and they're actually cracking down on like DRM's, uh, DRM stuff um, these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been using a Kobo, but ever since I started like having a dedicated device uh, that wasn't like littering me with notifications every other second, and I I had like no excuse to do anything other than reading uh, for like an hour each night. I really got back into reading. Um, the availability of books was way higher for me. It's way easier to buy them digitally than import them, uh, from overseas or whatever. Um, so yeah, ever since like 2019, I've been reading like nonstop a lot of, um, sci-fi, a lot of like um, fantasy as well. I've been trying to read more nonfiction recently. I've been like challenging myself to read a nonfiction book every month. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's about it. Um, I've been reading uh, a lot actually. This past month, I read like nine books or something ridiculous like that. Um, I'm currently reading uh, Ancillary Justice, which, given my uh, likes, or what i've learned about uh the kind of books i like to read uh, i should have read a long time ago so it's kind of like um something that i thought i was going to love uh that i saved for like uh whenever i was ready to be like pampered with a really good book and i'm having that uh believe justified right now because i i'm really enjoying it um so yeah that's uh about it for me what is that book? Um, Ancillary Justice is the first book in the Imperial... I actually don't know how to pronounce this word uh, because it's made up. It's, it's uh, Imperial Ratched or Imperial Rack. Um It's written by Anne Leckie, and it's about... Um, it's It's got this really interesting concept where um, this Imperial... Like this empire rules the galaxy and it's very aggressive in annexing uh, planets and civilizations to itself Uh, and one of its biggest tools is what's called um, it's basically a a starship with an AI but this AI has soldiers that are directly controlled by it which are like human bodies that were possessed by these artificial intelligences um, that were like transformed from their annexation wars, Uh, it's really brutal. There's this really horrific scene where uh, someone that was, like, in stasis, uh, basically a prisoner, uh, is transformed into an ancillary, which is what these, like, AI-controlled soldiers are called, Uh, and it's really gruesome. Uh, I'm really enjoying it because it's the kind of, like, really, uh, you know, Sci-fi with a lot of emphasis on world building, and like there's uh, themes of empire and colonialism, and that's entirely my jam. So I'm I'm really enjoying it. I I'm like halfway through. Uh, so far, I would really recommend it. It's not a straightforward at all. Um, I think the beginning is a little rough. Uh, there's a lot of concepts, and you kind of have to pick up on them. It's not like they're uh, explicitly Laid out in front of you, um, so yeah, it's it's kind of like that—the the kind of book you reread uh, three months later and realize you missed like half of it on your first read, uh, which I'm probably going to do. It really reminds me of um, one of my favorite books, which is a memory called Empire, and that one came out after Ancillary Justice, which is uh, kind of backwards the way I read it, uh, because you can really tell like the
1: the inspiration uh, A
0: Memory called empires yeah very very heavily influenced by by ancillary justice um but yeah i am really enjoying it i'm having a great time
1: it's always nice when you like find that book that like perfectly like meets like everything you're like really into like right at the right time you can just sort of like sink into it
0: yeah i i kind of like just knew i was going to love this one um so i kind of saved it for for when it seemed appropriate and uh, you know this. This was the time. Uh, there's, I think, two other books in that trilogy, and there's like two other like standalone books set in the same universe. So there's plenty to read as well. I, I, I am very happy right now.
1: <laughs> so plenty to sort of sink in and uh, absorb, like, in that world. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um. So, uh, before we launch into the today's discussion. Uh, I wanted to give some uh, context for this podcast and the way we are going to choose our books, um, or rather have our books chosen uh, for us, which is part of that uh, kind of revival of my love for books uh, ended up in me creating a book club for a Discord server that we are all in, and um, I think Saul was talking about wanting to make a podcast and I had been wanting to kind of have a place to talk about them and then, you know, share it around because we do like the usual end of month discussions. But I think it'd be fun to to like have an audio format thing and uh, kind of augment our book club experience with that. So for now, I think we'll be taking our books from the book club we are all in and that may change in the future. I imagine, uh, but for now that's going to be the case. And for the past two months, uh we read uh Wizard of Earthsea, uh this was December's book, and uh its sequel, which is uh the tombs of Atuan. Is that the way you would pronounce that?
1: I had the audiobook and that's the way they were pronouncing it. So that's what I'm going with.
0: Alright. Yeah, I, I'm going to defer to the to the audiobook then. Um this is These are two books that's part of uh, the first trilogy of the Earthsea cycle, written by uh, Ursula Le Guin, which I think is a very well-known uh, both science fiction and fantasy author, uh, because of her Earthsea uh, fantasy series, which uh, you know Wizard and uh, Tombs are a part of, and she's also very famous for her science fiction works uh, set in the Hainish uh, universe, which I've read a couple of those books, I also really love them, Um, but I I was introduced to uh, Ursula with Earthsea kind of really recently, Um, I think it might have been like 2019, this is the second time I read these books, I actually wanted to ask um, G how many times uh, he's read these books, because I know he's read them several times, and I wanted to ask uh, Sol if this is her first time, or if it's also a reread for her.
1: So it's my my first time reading reading the books. So I had no idea oh, what really what to expect. I, like I said, there was like a bunch of lists of classics of stuff I just hadn't touched, and Ursie was on there, you know. And the only thing I really knew about it was like the really, I think, bad miniseries that came out, like. A decade oh or so ago yeah that was the only experience i had about <laughs> it in and like all the controversy um so i'm like okay i definitely want to actually read the book and like because i love these types of like sort of fantasy stories um and i did read quite a few of them you know growing up as a kid so i'm kind of surprised i missed earth but i was just yeah my first time had nothing no idea what to expect
0: had you read any of uh Le Guin's stuff before or is this also your first for a into her work
1: this is my first time reading anything by her
0: okay i i do think um you know if you enjoy earthy and you want some sci-fi flavored stuff her, her uh universe stuff is really really good i really like the left hand of darkness and i really like the dispossessed especially um but yeah uh gee how about you i can
2: remember like well i I've read Wizard many times. Uh, I first read it in fifth grade, and then I read it again sometime in high school, at least four times, I think. I think I've read this at least four times. Fifth grade, high school, in 2019 also, uh, before, like right before the pandemic, the Christmas season, I read the entire entire cycle for the first time, Mm. its entirety. I think that was the first time I ever read Anything after Tehanu, which is the fourth book, and then oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then this, and then for this, actually, I haven't read anything past Tehanu more than once. Hmm. And that, yeah, and because the next time I read these books was for book club, and I think for I think the resonant the resonance of Sea has been changing for me even though I've, I read them but yeah especially because I read them at different points in life uh, there's much more I can bring to the book and much more that the book reflects back to me um but especially in, in the 2019 reading because uh I was recover, that was a time I was recovering from a serious illness um and Geds folly and and all the things he has unleashed, and and the reckoning that he has to undertake, like really, really hammered home like the lessons I was learning in my own interior life at the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Fair, yeah. Um, we'll definitely
0: go into some of that. Uh, as we make our way through that book. Um, yeah, so this is why we have two books today. Um, uh, we, we didn't want to start with the second book in the series. Uh, it's actually very funny. I think that uh, Tehanu was the last book for you for a while uh, before you read the rest of the series mm. because that's kind of a weird state of things. Uh, it oh, kind yeah. of ends on, isn't it? <laughs> it's Yeah, we're, we're placed to end it on.
2: Should we, because I don't remember. I don't remember exactly how that book ends. I mean, can we talk about it here? Or, um, no. Uh,
0: I okay. would rather not. <laughs> <All> <laughs> because right. probably people who are listening that uh, plan to read more right, of this. Right. Um, but yeah. Uh, but I do remember. I, I that... do. I don't actually remember the end exactly. Yeah. Uh, I remember there's like. Uh, a rescue at the very end and the dragon appears or something like that yeah yeah um, right. it's a kind of a I, I think it's the closest to a cliffhanger the series uh, gets um,
2: like throughout oh yeah I, the, the, what what really called out to me at Hanu was the, its past very pastoral nature I mean a part like a good contrast to the high adventure of the previous books Something yeah, really... the, the
0: second trilogy has a completely different vibe, I think. Yeah. And, and it kind of wanders back into like the original trilogy's vibe by the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can tell it's kind of doing a lot of course correction. Sort of takes right, its own right.
1: journey.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, then. Let's begin with uh, Wizard of Earthsea. Um, again, this is a book written by Ursula Le Guin. Um, in. I believe it's 1968, um, and it's about uh, Ged, who we are told at the very beginning is the greatest sorcerer he's <laughs> ever seen. <laughs> so uh, we kind of know where things are going. Um, he had another name uh, in his youth because names have a lot of significance in this setting, uh, which we'll definitely go into. Um, and we were basically introduced to him as a kid. Um, I'm not actually sure if it's stated how old he is when uh, he kind of um, decides he wants to pursue magic. Um, he's kind of got the gift for it. Um, he's introduced to magic by a local uh, witch, which is he's Twelve, uh, he's 12 when the he does calls...
2: Play. Sorry? Oh, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I was mistaken.
0: Oh, he stayed okay. with the witch until um, he was 12. All right. So he's quite uh, um, young uh, during the very first like couple of chapters. And this is actually something that I wanted to note as well. This is a very... Th- I think this is a short book, uh, but it kind of says a lot. Uh, the, Le Guin has a really good like skill for saying a lot and being very concise at the very same time. Um, So it's kind of surprising how much she's able to imbue uh, the book with like uh, world building and allusions to like things you know are in the world, but maybe not approached directly, uh, which I think is a very clever kind of way to to write. Um, So again, we're kind of introduced to him. He stays with Witch for a while. Uh, He's then kind of the apprentice of this um, wizard, actual wizard which is called Ogion, Um, but he's like very reckless. He kind of wants to learn as much as possible, as quickly as possible. And Ogion's kind of like a silent patient master uh, kind of character. Uh, I think we've come to expect to like in this sort of fiction. Um, So he sends him away to a wizard school in um, one of the islands of Earthsea, which is an archipelago. Um, And there he kind of um, finds finds himself in some uh, trouble because of his recklessness. But let's focus first on this first section of the book then. Um, uh, What did you think of this introduction to the world and the characters, um, either of you?
1: Well, I have to agree with you. I found it just every page is very dense she definitely like layers all of these references so for me as like a first-time reader it was a lot to sort of keep uh keep track of um sort of finding this the story because I think um there's just so much there so I can definitely definitely feel like rereading the book you probably you know notice things you didn't notice before um but definitely like even that just like opening like page there was like so much going on there in terms of like setting up all the characters and just like creating this, you know, world from, from nothing.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of like, uh, proper nouns dropped in the, like the very first chapters. Um, we get, uh, Ray Albi. uh, we get the Kargish, um, who are going to be relevant for the next book. We get a lot of like, um, names for people who live with uh, GED, and so on and so forth, Uh, so it's kind of overwhelming. I think, I wouldn't call it dense because I feel like the language is like very elegant, uh, but it does give the impression of like, um, I cannot believe this was four pages, um, and there's like all of this information crammed in my head now, there are dragons, there's something called the nameless. names are important, uh, they're wizards and witches, and they seem to be kind of adults with each other. Um, so it's it's uh, kind of overwhelming
2: in that sense, for sure. This is extra textual, but Le Guin has talked about when she first conceptualized Earthsea, she first made the map. And the book, I mean, yes, the book, I don't know what copies of the book you have, but the book, the copy I have is uh, a reprint of the original edition with the woodcuts, and and this is also the first. This is also the same way I read it uh, as a child uh, in fifth grade, uh, and it opens with a map. And what she did was she filled out the map first, named all the places, and then it. As she wrote, she started to explore well yeah she 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 wrote as she was exploring these islands in the mind as she was populating these islands with people, and I suppose that process shows up very clearly in the first few pages of the book where there's so many illusions like but it doesn't and and it's just the the power of suggestion that what could be there already. I didn't view it as like information overload, but like, Oh, Hey, what's over that horizon or what's over that horizon. Um, that really creates a world that, that is alive, uh, that, that this is uh, an established place and established people and established way of life, um, where Yes, this is a small community, but there is also the, the empire that is very strong at this point in time, um, and it also clearly shows that uh, Ged, or the boy Dooney, as he was known then, isn't really that important in the in from certain perspectives as. He would eventually turn out to be. Yeah. Um, I, I
0: think it's really clever and it maybe evokes like um, kind of like the epic format uh, starting out with, hey, this kid's going to become the biggest wizard of, um, you know, the world's ever seen. Um, so we're going to kind of tell his tale um, and, uh, you know, from from small beginnings, which is kind of a cliche but it's really well yeah. executed here and um yeah the the map if you look at the map alone uh, you may be very intimidated yeah. uh by the <laughs> amount of like single islands there are um, leguin kind of just wrote uh, or drew as many islands as she could cram into uh the paper she had um to great effect right because you've got this entire world and you don't really have to like flesh it out into kind of a lore Bible or anything. Yeah. Um, you kind of just explore it as you read the book and it kind of complements each other, this uh, method of world building with uh, writing and exploration, uh, which is really interesting. And it does allow her to like just paint a little bit, just, like just a little corner of one of these islands. And you kind of get the impression that there's a lot there that's being left unsaid and it kind of adds to this, again like um, charm right Uh, and this like depth that doesn't necessarily manifest in the page but you know is there uh, because of uh, like allusions or mentions uh, that she just drops in the page
1: yeah i definitely got the the impression she knew where she was going i was really (laughs) the one that was sort of lost with all the the terminology but i you know like i said i enjoyed the overall adventure
2: yeah uh, but it, it it's also important to to note that Le Guin made the map and made the names, but she didn't know what was on the islands, what was there, apart right. from like apart from the places where she was in, like gone and. She, even even Earth Earthsea was even unknown to her at this point in time, and I get, yeah, and subsequent books. It's only in subsequent books, it's subsequent explorations that she she herself knows what what's on who lives on that island or what can be found there. So I think it's interesting that she takes us on her own journey of exploration of this world she created. Uh, as readers. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, So moving on uh, with the kind of main thread of the book, um, the kind of main conflict relates to um, the shadow or what is called the shadow, and we are introduced to the shadow very early on in Chapter 2. He kind of has this encounter with a little girl who's like, is implied that she may have been, like, manipulated into, like, trying to be a source of temptation for Ger, uh, or, like, trying to get him to be more reckless. He ends up reading from this book in his master's uh, check, um, that seemingly, you know, classic, very dangerous book you shouldn't mm-hmm. be reading, uh, with, like, the dark spell. And he kind of, like, gets imprinted, um uh, with the spell, he 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 forms a relationship basically with this entity, uh, or that's the the kind of uh, reading that I have. Um, but it, it's very unclear whether he created the shadow, the spell created the shadow. If this has right, anything right. to do with with what happens later, right? Um, but because of his recklessness, he does get sent to this wizard school where he kind of becomes. Um, kind of a gifted student because he's actually really good and kind of picks up on stuff really quickly. And he's kind of is in his ideal, um, you know, student life scenario uh, where he gets to show off uh, to this very annoying kid that he meets on on his first day. Uh, that's kind of like the again very generic uh, but well executed and, and it comes across really well. Um, kind of know it all or who assumes that he's superior because he comes from a, like a lineage of wizards or or, he feels more entitled.
2: I hated the name Jasper for like 10 years (laughs) after this book.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He, he does have another friend. I don't remember his name. Um, yes. Uh, Vetch. Yeah. Who's a, a good friend. He's, he's an actual good one. Um, but he eventually gets, like, goaded into um, kind of showing off. They, Jasper and um uh, get, get into, like, a duel uh, during a celebration, and he kind of remembers the spell. He read from the uh, dark book that Ogion had. Uh, he tries to revive someone. I think he makes a bet that he will be able to, to bring someone back and he chooses like someone from Earthsea history. Um, but what ends up coming out is, um, like a dark entity that knocks him, uh, out. And, um, yeah, he kind of, um, like G said earlier, uh, reckons with his, with the hubris of his own, um, you know, confidence and um, he loses all will or rather he he goes through a phase where he's kind of lost his will to continue studying he then gets back uh with it but it's not as good um and eventually he is you know he graduates and uh goes uh, out into the world
2: right he he loses his will because of Cause he understood like he really did not do a good thing but with his i mean because yeah he he was really gifted but he took it too far and yeah i was surprised that he understood this like at, at such a young age like and reined in his, his arrogance was really erased by this event
0: yeah um there are real consequences to this, too, because um, I think the school's, like, head magician yeah. uh, dies as a result. Right. right. Um, so, yeah, it, it's not, um, no no punches get pulled in, like, the consequences of Get's arrogance here.
1: Yeah, it definitely felt like he had, like, you know, throughout the entire book, just a weight on his conscience for these, you know, actions he did yeah. when he was so, so young... And I think a lot of the book, at least for me, felt like it's sort of trying to find your purpose and sort of find, you know, where you are in this sort of big, Mm. you know, sort of unexplored world, um, sort of that coming in age story. Um, So
0: I think, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: he. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Z. Okay. um, And that, though, that burden is manifested in his appearance. Like he has this gnarly scar on his face that completely changes his appearance for the rest of his life because of what he did right. yeah. to the world
0: uh-huh
1: yeah like people um
2: before we go
0: oh go ahead Sol. Oh, i was
1: just gonna say like people can like you know at least as i took it sort of physically see that you know he did something wrong he's sort of marked that he did mm. something wrong and he's got to carry that yeah. with him
0: yeah, and he kind of goes out into the world to, like, redeem himself. Uh, I feel like there's an element of that for sure. Um, before we go any further, though, so I do want to comment on, like, the school itself and, like, the hierarchy of right, right. wizards in Earthsea, because this, I think, is a really interesting aspect. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, so the way this goes, I think, is you are recognized as a potential wizard, and... Uh, I don't think there's necessarily any restriction uh, in like. Well, there is a big That's restriction, which is uh, your gender. Yes, <laughs> um, women are even women. Like practitioners of magic are called witches, and they are not uh, really appreciated by um, the the wizard, um, you know, inf- uh, the wizard institution. Um, so we get a lot of, like, offhand notes and comments about how a uh, uh, witch's is magic is no real magic, or yeah, isn't like as good, or... There's,
2: like, this folk saying in Earthsea, weak as women's magic.
0: Right. Yeah, it, it's really dire, the, the mm-hmm. whole, um, you know, sexist situation going on over there, um, which is actually the subject of later books, um, yeah. but for now... Uh, Women not having a good time on on Earth, even if they're like skilled at magic and like every town has their witch, and they're like first responders uh, (laughs) to medical situations from what we can see and, uh, you know, do do, like public service. So, yeah, not not a great time. So as long as you're a boy and um, someone recognizes the potential in you, which is usually um, another wizard. Um, There's this ceremony of obtaining a name which only, I think, wizards are able to execute and uh, what you basically get is a new name, that's not your, uh, what you get is your true name, which you're not supposed to tell anyone, is
2: that how it works? Uh, I think so, yeah. Um, Everyone in Earthsea, yeah, names are the fundamental part of Earthsea's magic system. Uh, for those unfamiliar, um, everything in Earthsea, there's there's the the basic language, and there's the ancient language, the true language, for all things. So everything, all nouns, everything in the, in Earthsea, has an equivalent in the ancient language, and that name is what gives wizards power, and knowledge of this name is what gives wizards power over the elements over over people even, because people also have their use names, which, well, we haven't gotten into it here, but Ged's use name is Sparrowhawk. That's what everyone knows him as, but his closest people know his true name, which is Ged, and that's what was given to him by the wizard that Serge was talking about. Although, um, I think everyone is named. I think this is like the equivalent. There's the equivalent of a christening, uh, like right. our baptism. Yeah. Everyone has their true name, and I think it's given by a wizard for every or whoever is the authority in their uh, region. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you
0: want to be a wizard, you kind of get sent off to this school uh, where you get to memorize a lot of names <laughs> uh, and learn to write a lot of names and do a lot of like name related stuff. Um, And eventually you get like sent out into the world to be kind of like a missionary. Um, (laughs) I think there seems to be currency in Earthsea, um, but it doesn't seem like the wizard institution is uh, like, it it does feel like very missionary-ish to me. Um, You get assigned to an island or a town and you kind of help them. Uh, if they have a dragon visiting, you kind of get rid of it. Um, you, you, yeah, you, you're basically, you're the local wizard that they, in exchange, uh, kind of give you boarding and food and, and yeah. keep you uh, healthy. Uh, but it doesn't seem like they are in it for, like, that's not a profession you get in for the money. Um, they're kind of like wondering either... They remain stationary or go wandering around, um, you know, solving solving problems. I did make the comparison with, like, the Jedi uh, from right, Star right. Wars.
2: Oh, are we going to get into uh, because,
0: that now? <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like there's uh, a lot of similarities in, like, the way uh, the Jedi were also, like, ruled by Dogma. And they are also supposed to be, like ambassadors for good um mm. but uh, you know the, the way we know them like in the prequel trilogy they're uh, very corrupt while the kind of wizards in rc seem to be doing kind of a better job they're like very in contact with their uh, spiritual right. uh, core um they they are able to like sense um disturbances in <laughs> <laughs> magic Way easier than, <laughs> and way with a lot more foresight than Jedi survival too. Um, I was just gonna say that, but I think there are some interesting parallels there. Go ahead. So I was just
1: gonna say that yeah, they seem a little bit like the wizards in this book seem a little bit more of the people. It's not
2: yeah, yeah, yeah
1: as a glamorous job as maybe you know some of these students might be expecting because you know it's sort of it sounds very difficult. You know, you're having to like constantly like move from town to town, really never having like a home or like a base or anything like that, just helping people. Um, so it definitely sounds like sort of this big sacrifice yeah. going forward. Um,
0: we see Gat doing a lot of like bartering with their magic when they have to move around. Uh, they kind of offer to um, direct the wind for the yeah. ships, uh, like Wind Waker style.
1: And, yeah. I, yeah.
0: So we, do see, we do see a lot of that.
1: I liked, I liked, for me, I liked how practical the magic felt in the world like it it had like actual you know day-to-day use and i like sort of the application Mm -hmm. especially like with all the the wind magic and you know sometimes i guess wizards would you know like book a ship or become like the you know stay on a ship help them you know sort of get through harsher waters you know with their ability or command over the the wind because i think they did say correct me if i'm wrong they did say like most don't have like any control over the water itself
2: Hmm, that that may be the case yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure myself but that seems it seems fair
0: that seems right uh the ocean is big
2: (laughs) yeah and they are an archipelago yeah
1: it's possible i could remember wrong but i think they were saying something about just being so old like no one knew like the true name of that and so
0: right that, that does make sense
2: I like what you said about, yeah, them being of the people, like, as opposed to the Jedi, which, well, we, I, we talked about this in book club, but um, the Jedi are centralized, they are dispatched, but once they're dispatched by the central authority, the Jedi Council, but here, once wizards are leave roped after they receive their first assignment, they're, they're free to, to go, they're, they have much more autonomy, I mean, dead left after... So after Gad left his first community, and yeah, they're they're not they're not acting. It's not top down. They're not acting on behalf of rope the island where the wizards are based. They're acting on behalf of the people, people's needs. They don't. Right. They I don't I not think there's an authority. important contrast.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think there there's an important contrast in like um, how. We see Getstown Town be attacked by like raiders from another uh, faraway island, and then we arrive at um, the island where the school sat, whose who's name I forget. Um broke, broke. But it's like, yes. Uh, but then every inhabitant in the island is like um, doing riddles. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's real whimsical up there, <laughs> while the people in the <laughs> islands are like suffering. Um, So I'm not entirely sure that it's, like, um, an an ideal institution. Yeah, yeah. uh, But they're definitely, you know, they're definitely handling themselves better. There's also the, like, um, witch and wizard stuff. Um, But, yeah, they they kind of have a better handle. Uh, I think it's mostly their, like, spiritual connection to to the name stuff that works for them and gives them real power. Um, And I also appreciate how, even though we do see a lot of like magic being employed in very practical ways mm. um like get still has to do a lot of manual labor mm-hmm. um he after after an encounter with the dragon who gives him kind of a a warning about the shadow who's following him um he kind of begins uh yearning uh in order to escape the shadow I think is his first uh, impulse um And in order to do that he like gets into a ship and has to row Mm -hmm. with like slaves and people uh, who i think are being paid for it as well and i do appreciate that it's not like oh he's a wizard he can um you know wave a wand and then the row moves by itself he's definitely doing like a lot of manual labor there's definitely need for um you know labor in that sense um it's not like magic has solved everything yeah so um he tries to escape the shadow, which leads to a, an encounter with it, uh because he's kind of overcome with paranoia basically. Um and there's a real big theme of him you know giving his weakness and his uh fear giving power to the shadow, so he gets overwhelmed because he kind of um expects the shadow to show up anywhere and like possess the people around him. Uh, he tries to run. Uh, and oh, he, he gets actually guided by, by this guy who kind of walks him through the desert and turns out to be the shadow in disguise. Um, so they have this confrontation, which leaves him very weak. Um, he also loses his familiar, this uh, kind of furry little guy. Oh, I'm so sad uh, that when that happened. Lived in his. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, very ruthless scene here where he realizes his otek I think is the name uh, is gone and he's just not mentioned again he's he's just um the shadow got him um and I think this is his lowest point um he kind of wakes up in a castle where he gets uh, tempted once again by a dark source of power that he's afraid of and he realizes he's like falling into his old ways again or or in at risk of like you know becoming uh more confident that he should be again and like uh mishandling uh this orb i think that's being offered to him um and he decides to to flee once again. any thoughts about this sequence?
1: wasn't it that that um it was like a tower or a fortress? That's where isn't that where he meets that girl from like the, the beginning of the novel, you know, all grown up and is trying to tempt him once again?
0: Yeah, I, I always picture it as a castle, but it can be a you know a fortress or I, I think there's a tower described at some point, so I've kind of <laughs> imagined it as a castle in my mind. Uh, but it's this like fortified edifice right in the middle of the desert, very conveniently uh, after he was attacked.
1: Yeah, sort of when he's at his lowest point, just sort of being tempted once again, you know, and it, it kind of almost seems like it's it's going to work for a little bit um, before he ultimately flees.
0: Yeah. Um. So he flees in the form of a hawk, I believe. It's a bird of some sort.
2: Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was tempted by... It. Because this stone is also controlling the woman... And the man she is with, um, yeah. and This is the same woman from the all, yeah, the same a girl from the beginning of the book, all grown up. But this time, and she is also a bad accuser. But this time, the the stone, which is, I guess, a manifestation, a physical manifestation of the darkness that the shadow is also a part of, is controlling both the man and the woman in the fortress castle. Um, and right, and Gadd is tempted by this darkness again. Um, I guess because this is a stronghold. This is a stronghold of darkness, uh, which is a theme that is continued in in the next book, that we'll cover later. Right. Um, so his his magic, his will, is is weakened by it, and this is why. And this, I think, this is why he is tempted by uh, these powers, but he escapes. Yeah. Okay. You can go on
0: search. Sorry. Yeah. So he escapes in the form of a hawk, which we are told is a very dangerous kind of spell, because you might not be able to turn back. Uh, You may be uh, overtaken by, like, the animal's instincts, Um, and it's kind of a last resource for him. Uh, he flies back to his old master's shack uh Ogion, who takes him in and kind of nurses him back to health and I think this is the uh the biggest argument this book makes for one of I think Archie's biggest um, themes which is like relying on each other to overcome difficulties um, like by this point get has convinced himself that he's on his own uh trying on a journey to redeem mm-hmm. himself and, like, he shouldn't make anyone else suffer mm. because of his hubris. And he, you know, there's no need to rely on anyone mm. because he should be able to do it on his own. Um, but this is where we see, like, him being nursed back to health by O-Gyon, um, who kind of talks some sense back into him. Um, he kind of starts realizing that the same way the Shadow has power over him, he has power over the Shadow... And maybe he has been fleeing from the shadow because he's allowed it uh to to pursue him. Uh, so this is where the, the book kind of takes a turn and uh he kind of decides to hunt the shadow and force a confrontation. Um and by this point he starts realizing that the the roles have shifted and it's not like they're running into each other, but he's running after the shadow and the shadow is doing its best to like escape because he knows um He's kind of onto, onto it.
2: I think this was a good part of the book. Because what was driving Ged before was not knowing anything about the shadow. Like, because he didn't know anything about the shadow, he was giving it more power than it had. Um,
0: yeah. Or you forgot to mention that the shadow is able to learn Get's name, and this is how it defeats him uh, the first time. And I think that's like very obviously Ged, um, you know, being so vulnerable that this somehow exposes his name to to the shadow, or, or that's what we are led to yeah, believe. Yeah,
2: like this is, yeah, the, the shadow knowing his name was what led him to that uh, that fortress castle with the stone in the first place. Yeah, um, and this turn with, him turning from the hunted to the hunter. Uh, yeah, he was giving the shadow much more power than it really had, and it was this fear of the, the unknown that, because Ged, what that made Ged kind of panic throughout through his, through his Like he was just being wayward uh, in his travels, not really any direction, like he was just trying to evade the shadow any way it could, and that's, that Evasion is what gave it power because I don't know all it wants. What does the shadow want? The shadow wants what's him?
0: Yeah, I I think there's a lot of like um, ambiguity over how sentient the shadow mm-hmm. is or how purposeful it acts. Um, like at times it feels very. Um, you know, kind of animal-like or beast-like, in that it's just, you know, reacting to its environment. At other times, it's very purposeful, and uh, this is probably the height of its power. When again, Get is feeling very vulnerable and paranoid, and you know, he he imagines the shadow taking over the people around him, kind of as if it w- was able to strategize.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so so yeah, it kind of reacts to to Get's expectations of it.
1: Yeah, I felt like sometimes at times it seemed almost like he was giving it more life than it actually had, um, just because it was playing into his fears, or at least that's how I read it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's like very powerfully that the read we are intended to to like take away, um, you know, he's he's kind of letting himself uh, be taken advantage of, uh, and giving the the shadow more power in turn. There's like a very strong like relationship or like magical link between the two, um, so I do think this makes sense, um, so Ged takes on the job of hunting down the shadow, um, he kind of starts being able to sense where the shadow is, uh, so he starts following it, um, there's a a bit where he reunites with Vetched, um, and this is also, again, kind of a um, repeat of the theme about relying on people, uh, because Vetch insists, um, that he go with, uh, Gerd to hunt the shadow, um, so they travel around, uh, for a while, basically Vetch, uh, starts doubting, uh, Gerd, uh, ability of tracking the shadow, uh, but they eventually make it to, um, kind of like this very foggy land, um, into which only Gerd is able to, to walk, I think, uh, because it's like partly illusion, and it's kind of his personal, his personal reckoning with with the hubris of his, um, uh, you know, extra confidence, um, and and he confronts the shadow. Um, he is able to name the shadow, which is also called Ged. Uh, so uh, you know, make your conclusions from that, and um, he's able to to return uh, revitalized by, you know, knowing more about himself. Uh, having been able to confront uh, a literal and figurative shadow in himself um, and is kind of ready to take on uh, the world and become the uh, wizard that he's, as we know from the very beginning of the book, uh, meant to be uh, of great significance to Artsy.
1: Yeah, i really trying to think of how to, to sort of sum it up, but I liked how the sort of the final... I guess, battle, you know, really just became more about them being able to, like, coexist almost. He was able to sort of maybe find that missing part of him that he's always been, you know, looking for and, you know, on throughout his adventure. Um, so I liked, liked how all that wrapped up, how that really, you know, from the beginning of the novel to the end, sort of found a way to connect all of those pieces um, with him. You know, I think finally healing, finally overcoming, you know, this, you know, thing he did very early in life, you know, that wasn't, you know, too late for him to to um, make right. Um, But in doing that, he had to acknowledge, you know, all the wrong he did and recognize, you know, that that wasn't the end and he could still, you know, have a life and have a journey beyond that. Um, I think before he was so focused on like running or just even just surviving um, and not really taking the time to like heal or even make amends for um, some of the actions or consequences of his actions earlier on in life.
0: Yeah, I think we were partly left with the question of how much of the shadow came from Ged and how much it came from like the spell that he recited while reading the. Dark tome that Ogion had. Um, there's definitely like a beginning there, um, but ultimately it ends up being more about him confronting uh, himself and his vulnerability and allowing himself to like, um, you know, accept uh, the the entirety of himself, rather than this big confrontation with like a dark spirit he unleashed or anything like that.
2: Can you imagine if this was like
0: a battle? <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh, there's very little i think this is very funny i wanted to mention this um later when we discuss the second book um but magic is rarely offensive yeah, yeah. in in erzy like we know that he's very powerful we know that there are dangerous spells um but they are very rarely manifested uh in the form of like what we would recognize as as a weapon, mm. right? As weaponized skills, um,
2: which
0: is which is really interesting.
2: Yeah, and, and talking about like linking up with what, with how the book begins, with how Ged reckons with this shadow from his past. Like after the map, the book starts with uh, epi, epigraph, I think, is what it's called. Uh, there's a poem at the beginning of the book that that really lays out like how this how this world is is laid out like uh
0: yeah um it's the creation of air i believe i think yeah oh Uh, and it says yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go go ahead. All right. So uh, it says, "Only in silence, the word. Only in dark the light. Only in dying life, uh, break the hawk's flight on the empty sky." Um, which yeah, I think it lays out like the themes of duality and coming to terms with the dark parts of yourself. Um, there's uh, especially in future books, uh, very big emphasis on, like, death and uh, the nature of of dying and people's obsession with that. Um, There's a little uh, section that we skipped on uh, in the book uh, where Ged's, like, woken up in the middle of the night uh, because um, a fisherman's daughter is sick, and this is a fisherman that was friends with Ged from the village that he was first at after leaving the uh, wizard school, and uh, he's unable to save the daughter. He does everything he can to the point that he almost loses himself as well. He goes into like I don't know what the oh uh, yeah kind of afterlife, sort of uh, weird afterlife uh, that <laughs> exists at this point in in Earthsea because that shifts later. Um, and uh, he he kind of tries to retrieve her, but he can't. And then the fisherman resents him because he was able to like. Best a dragon, but he was not able to bring his daughter back. Um, and I think that's probably one of the most hard-hitting uh, portions of the book, alongside um, the Otak dying. So there's there's like a little bit of of death, uh, of reflections on death in in the book for sure.
2: Yeah, and it really shows the limits of Trixie's magic. Although he was able to follow the, the child into the land of the dead but he couldn't bring her back
0: it... yeah um which is strongly uh, advised against uh, following spirits into the land of the dead as we as we later mm-hmm. learn uh, he kind of gets a lot of um he he's vulnerable after that and he has spent time recovering uh yeah he did what he could but you know, everything has its limit. Um, so is there, is there anything else um, you'd like to say about this book before we move on? Oh, I, I guess the only thing um, that I'd like to mention is um, explicitly Ged is described as uh, having dark skin, oh, yeah. and the invaders that appear at the beginning are described as having white skin. So this inversion um, was kind of like uh, Le Guin's um, kind of subversion for this book, right?
2: Right. I, I think um, uh, we, we uh, I mentioned this in Book Club, but we haven't talked about it here. Um, Le Guin's parents were anthropologists I think her upbringing with yes. them really informed how she made Earthsea. I mean, even, even um, the poem we just talked about uh, really reinforced uh, Earthsea. Also, Earthsea has an oral tradition. Uh, like their histories are sung. Um, they remember, yeah, the, their oral tradition. And the poem that we talked talked about the, the, that we just talked about is part of their creation myth. And this is something that is sung at festivals and uh, is known by all people of this culture. And I think these are the things that her upbringing and her experience with anthropology were the things she kept in mind when she laid out the island, even setting Earthsea as an archipelago instead of like one landmass. and talking about how these uh, disparate islands had their own culture um, amid this overarching society. I think that those were those things were informed by even the adversions of the races. These were things that she knew that she had to address somehow, I guess, because of how. People of color are often othered in, in fantasy.
0: Yeah, um, she goes into it a little more in the afterward um, in the illustrated edition that I have. Um, she she does make a mention of how most heroes uh, tended to be described as white, and um, you know darker skin tones were reserved for like villains or like morally ambiguous uh, characters. Um, she actually mentions that she had trouble, like, communicating this to, um, artists, uh, that were meant to make covers for her book, and it wasn't until much later she was satisfied with a cover that accurately depicted Ged, um, as, as anything other than White, so, yeah, definitely, um, a a little bit of a struggle there, uh, for, for, like, her editorial team, uh, and herself, uh, like, getting this communicated. Um... Uh, But yeah, if we are done with A Wizard of Arcee, we can move on to uh, The Tombs of Atuan, um, which is the second book in the series. Um, It came, I think, three years after uh, A Wizard. Wizard was 1968, and um, let's see, The Tombs of Atuan was 1970, so two years later. it's, it's funny because there are a lot of, like, allusions uh, or, like, potential... What would be identified today as potential sequel hooks for future for books in uh, A Wizard of Earthsea. Um, but Le Guin has said multiple times it was meant to be, like, standalone originally. And it wasn't until she realized she had more to say that she actually decided to go for, like, a sequel. Um, which is very funny uh, because I think... Um, you know, there there are many cold shots in *The Wizard of Oz*. Um, yeah, actually, that didn't read,
2: need, um, we we skipped over that part in the, in talking about the book, but I thought that island with yes, with the exiled prince and princess were what I thought that was. I, I read that like as a straight up sequel hook because it felt so. Yeah, I, that. It, it feels a little yeah, out of place. Like, yeah, like. I mean, even the conceit of, like, dead island hopping, you know, islands having com- completely different cultures being cut off from one another. Even in that context, that part in the first book felt out of place. Especially because it it, yeah, it um explicitly talked about, explicitly, it explicitly said that like he didn't know what this ring was was. He didn't know the importance of this ring until later, something
0: like that. Yeah, um, and actually, the Toms of Atuan get like directly uh, mentioned in yeah, that passage. Right. Um, so he, at some point, goes to an island where he finds um, like two um, uh, a man and a woman who kind of are barely able to speak and communicate. Um, and he figures out eventually they were, like, noble, th- like the kids of noble, of, of a Kargish noble family. Um, he kind of, you know, is taken in uh, by them for a while. And uh, when he leaves, he is gifted this half of a ring. Um, and it is said that he, he had no idea what this ring would be uh until much later when he would go to the tombs of atuan <laughs> <laughs> which does definitely read like a very strict sequel hook
2: i guess if you were reading it at the time it would just read like one of the other like allusions to like dead's later deed or like the legend that maybe Ged would yeah eventually make for himself but like with hindsight with knowing how it all plays out yeah it's really really reads explicit
0: yeah um this did this jump out to you Saul, uh when you read through this uh section in wizard
1: i think for me like a lot of the later chapters definitely felt a lot more like episodic um so they they Mm. felt like they could be like the start or part of adventures but yeah i would definitely have to say that whole um like him staying on the island with the you know these you know mysterious um abandoned royals you know that were just sort of left to die definitely kind of stood out to me and I was sort of like not exactly sure where that was going and then you know obviously like a mysterious gift that you know was kind of not fully expanded upon definitely I felt like there was um you know hooks there for a sequel so I was kind of surprised um when I found out later that you know, she hadn't really intended that because it it definitely does feel like a full sort of like fleshed out kind of start of like an, like a later deed like um, like G was saying like a later deed of uh, Jed's going
0: forward right um so the Tombs of Atuan. Um. this is a radically different book <laughs> uh, from wizard at least in the way it's like structured and the uh, things it focuses on um, so uh, very Quickly, it is about, uh, we follow a girl uh, who's called Tenar, um, and she is taken in as a very young child, uh, as a baby, I think, basically, um, by by the cult of the Nameless Ones, um, which are deities for the Kargish, uh, which we met very briefly uh, back in Wizard of Earthsea. Um, she is told she is the reincarnation of the uh, previous priestess uh, who died, and uh, they have this belief that they have to look for her, uh, you know, next um, iteration uh, amongst the child that were born on the same day. Um, so there's that like retinue that gets sent out to the country looking for uh, children who were born, uh, who happened to be born on the same day. Um, she is talked the ways of the, uh, nameless. Um, there's this, um, labyrinth, uh, underground labyrinth that she is, uh, you know, told this is where the nameless, um, you know, live and from which they, they exert its their powers. Um, they have a lot of hate for wizards and like the rest of the kind of mainstream archipelago culture, I think. These are very isolated um, people, um, definitely antagonistic to the, the like other um, places we met uh, in Wizard of Earthsea. Um, and eventually uh, Ged comes uh, because he's uh, looking to infiltrate the labyrinth um, looking for the other half of the ring he got back in Wizard of Erzy, because he's figured out it's this legendary ring that's tied to a royal prophecy about how when they are reunited, a true king will emerge and he's trying to fulfill this prophecy um, so, you know, peace can reign over Erzy again. Um, So they they meet, Um, she kind of is forced to confront her beliefs um, with the existence of Ger, uh, he helps her uh, come out of her like unwillingness to look past what's been taught to her, and like the trauma of being separated uh, from her family, and uh, they escape together, ultimately. Um, I, again, this is a very short book, I, I feel like it can be summarized really quickly, um, but it, it says so much. I really like the language, again, uh, very detailed. Uh, a lot of depth and a lot of world building that gets hinted at, but not entirely, um, entirely like detailed. There's this whole conflict between the nameless and another deity, who's uh, the the Kargish current king favors. So there's a lot of friction between uh, Tenar or Arha, as she's called. When, when she's the priestess, uh, because the priestess always has uh, the same name, um, and the priestess of this other god, who, you know, is looked more favorably now because the, the current king kind of uh, exerts his power uh, through that other deity, um, but it doesn't really get, like, detailed, we don't really get a lot of exposition about what the actual, uh, you know, um, royal intrigue and uh, state of things are, uh, but it does add a lot of flavor, and there's enough in there to, like, really chew into the uh, relationship between Arha and this other priestess, whose, whose name I
2: also forget. Uh, oh, castle. Castle, castle. uh I think we can... F- yes. I, 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 there, was a, there was some exposition when Ged and are were talking. Um, I think the Nameless were the original gods of the Kargish people. And then, and the, this religion that Tenar is part of is is the original religion for these deities. But then, in the past, the priests of this order separated and styled themselves kings. And then, as the centuries went on, these priests, this lineage of priest kings, began to style themselves deities themselves. And this and the that's why the current head of the rival religion is the God King, um, descended straight from the Priest Kings, and the God of the rival religion is the kingdom itself. So, uh, right. Uh, yeah. So the nameless ones are real in this in this world. So, uh, I guess from our perspective, knowing about how the magic works um the god kings are usurpers although they are the ones in power now because the nameless religion is decrepit like this is the only stronghold left um like there there's a there's a temple for the god king in complex that tenor is at and it's new it's like really shiny whereas their temple is is run down, falling apart. Yeah, falling apart. yeah. Yeah. And that and the God King is the driver of the Kargish Empire. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so, what was your impression of this book uh, right after reading Wizard? Uh, mm, yeah. I think it's it's different enough that it kind of uh, can provoke some whiplash. What What did you think of it? Just.
1: I think probably um, like comparing the two, I think I felt I like this one a little bit more. Um, I think just because of sort of in a little bit more linear fashion, um, I really liked how you know it kind of like flipped to our protagonist was you know someone who's like just very like anti wizard, anti magic, like the culture is entirely different. Um, it's for me reading because i really didn't know where like the the journey of the book was going to take i was for a while not even sure if this religion was like real like if it was just like all of like a cult like if, if it was like actually you know just something they had made up to you know sort of brainwash these young girls so um when we sort of found out a little bit more about it like it was like this really like ancient sort of dark presence you know and then You know, Jed showed up like it's um, I think a lot of the strength of the novel is like there's there's even though it is, you know, shorter, um, you know, than some, you know, I guess, more modern fantasy. There's a lot of layers and there's a lot of sort of ways you can sort of interpret stuff. Um, And like throughout reading this, you know, I really, you know, just didn't know, couldn't really guess where it was going. Um, It wasn't like, sort of this, I guess, classic adventure book, Um, I really liked how Tanar was, you know, kind of actually pretty mean-spirited and kind of of brutal. Like, she was really, had bought into, you know, how this religion, and she was completely on board. And I was kind of, I really wasn't expecting that, you know, especially, like, I think the third chapter where, like, she orders like, the execution of a bunch of prisoners that they have down in the labyrinth. Like, that really, really shocked me.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think there's, like, a very interesting inversion of Get's tale in uh, Tenar's journey, um, because whereas he was, like, sent to the wizard school, but it was because he wanted to. He he was given the choice to, to do it, um, whereas Tenar kind of has no choice, and is taken by force from her family. I actually have said this a couple of times, um, like, during our book club discussions, but the prologue is, like, one page long, or a couple of pages long, and it's extremely, like, it really gets to me, because it's written, it's not exactly written from the perspective of her mother, um, but... Uh, it's it really heartfelt. It's a a little scene after the parents have been informed that they're taking Tenar away, and um, the the mother is kind of pampering her and you know making the best of of the time uh, she has with her, while uh, the father is uh, like extremely. It it looks like he's um, trying to distance himself by hating on uh, the mother pampering her. Yeah, he she, he kind of tells her uh, it's not worth it, uh, because she's going to lose her really soon, and, and so on and so forth, and it's it's written uh, in a very heartfelt way. Uh, it, really, it really hit me uh, after I read it, um, it. It felt like I had read a whole chapter, and it was like a couple of pages, and I was like, dairy eyed already. <laughs> it's it's really really effective, um, and and they also kind of buy into their the institutions that they're brought into, right? Because Ged, again um, led by his abris and uh, his confidence in his skills, and is immediately rewarded by how gifted he is as a magician. Um, whereas uh, Tenar kind of has to be brainwashed. Uh, but eventually also buys in, and uh, both things, uh, you know, being, like, positively rewarded for your gifts um, lead, and also uh, being brainwashed and ultimately buying into this cult lead them to make, like, unforgivable, in their minds, unforgivable sins that they have to live with, right, and that they are haunted by, Uh, because after Tenar goes through this, like... Ordering them to not be fed, I think, uh, until they die uh, in the depths of the labyrinth or, or in the like antechamber to the labyrinth, um, where they're like brutally like tied down and uh, they're naked and really weak, and, and it's difficult to look at them for Tenara because it's a really uh, grisly image, uh, but she still like orders them to, to die by starvation. Um, she has nightmares about this later and is haunted by this. And she fundamentally knows it was wrong and and horrible. Um, but at that time, she felt like so empowered by the the institution. In uh, I don't think not so uh, different way from the way Ged was empowered by uh, you know the the constant positive reinforcement and uh, the the of of his recklessness, right? Um, so, so I, I think there's an interesting parallel between the two um in, in how they're treated by by their respective institutions that they're brought into
2: yeah I think, I think that's a good uh, reading of it uh, the the, the, the Antenor carries this burden of killing those three people for the entire book like she doesn't like when the book ends she doesn't unlike Ged, she she doesn't reconcile with it. She she carries it until the end she and it is like it's almost dead who tries to absolve her of it. But I'm not sure it, I'm not sure she feels that it's it's been absolved in in in, in her.
0: Yeah. It, it does feel like the start of a journey for, for Tenar at mm. the very end of the book. Uh, unlike Ged, uh, who we feel like he's coming to his right. power by the end of yeah. Wizard of Earthsea. Um So it does look like she's at the point where maybe uh, Ged was when Ogion, like, nursed him back to health and, like, talked him into pursuing the the Shadow uh, and stuff. Because that, that point where, like... Um, relying on other people and letting yourself be vulnerable in front of others uh, comes really late for for Tenar. Uh, So she's kind of like coming to grips with it um, by the time the book Yeah, and she didn't
2: have anyone to rely on except for Amana and her eunuch. uh, The eunuch who is assigned to her. Because in the the complex there are no men allowed, which is why Ged is such a such a uh, such a culture shock to her, and this is also another inversion of, yeah, um, the inculcation, the indoctrination of the R2 protagonists in these books. Um, men are not allowed in the tombs and and forgets, um, wizard class. Now, women are not allowed either. This is why Manan, her only confidant. Yeah. Um, as a eunuch, because they are allowed to, to, to serve this religion.
0: Yeah, I I feel really bad for Manan. Um, he kind of really cares for um, Tenar, but he's like not equipped mm. to really help her. Uh, he's like like Salas, and and that's it. Uh, he just feels bad about her for most of the book. Um, he he understands that position she's in, uh, but he's like unable to communicate it to her in a way that would make her, like, self-actualize or move past uh, the trauma she's been subjected to um, so it's it's real tough and he he's eventually, like, pushed into the darkness by Ged as uh, he and uh, Tenar uh, make their way out of the out of the labyrinth um, it's, a, it's a very sudden and uh, kind of uh, sad way uh, to end yeah, it for it's him. Yeah, not
2: even like a yeah it's, it's, it's not a dramatic death it just happens and I think Manan's inability to help her in that way is a function of him being a part of that order like he is part of that institution that controls Tenar like he yeah. is fundamentally incapable of giving her that support this is why Ged as an outsider is the only one who to, 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 to shake her out of it because um you're talking about the prologue like another layer to this order like is how cruel it is because they they don't take the babies who are I, i'm not sure if we mentioned it in the summary but Tenar is believed to be the reincarnation of their high priestess um who is the the conduit between the nameless ones their their deities and uh, their order and they take the baby, they identify the baby early on, and they, inf- but they, instead of taking the baby, instead of raising the, the baby, which is the hardest part of child rearing, um, they leave it to the parents who are, who will connect, who will be forced to connect, who will love to connect to this, to their child for the first five years of their life Knowing that the, the child will be taken from them, and the prologue is doing so much work, and it it yeah, and I, I echo your your view that it's it's so effective of not only the love of the parents and the grief of the parents, but the cruelty of the institution.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, we get a little bit of that in the prologue, and then later on when Tenar asks. Uh, another one of her, uh, was it Manan, or was it another one of her, like, her takers um, to, to tell her about the whole mm. uh, process with the retinue going from village to village, looking for the right baby, um, and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really, it, it's, I, I think it's really effective in, in how, like, um, ruthless it is to see Tenar so nonchalantly accept uh, this reality for herself, uh, like, oh, yeah, it was stolen from my parents, and uh, it, is, it is all fine, right? Uh, especially after, you know, I, I have very, like, subtle memories of mm-hmm. being with my mom, because for those first uh, five years or however many years uh, of, of child rearing that they, they had to get me, um, there, there was a connection made, um, which is yes, really cruel. Another thing Saul mentioned that I think is another really big thing for me in this book um, is the ambiguity throughout the entire, through like 90% of the book of whether this is an, uh, if the nameless ones truly exist, if they have Mm -hmm. any power, or if this is just a constructed religion, you know, uh, just made to take advantage Mm -hmm. of people and, uh, you know, perpetuate these injustices. And I think it's really, really good how um, Le Guin walks right up to the edge of uh, no, this is all made up. Um, Everything can be explained rationally, uh, right? This is all uh, a product of the uh, brainwashing and kind of like confirmation bias that Tenari is subjected to because she's surrounded by this institution from all sides. Um, And then after seeing Ged uh, infiltrate the Labyrinth and being so extremely weak, uh, which I think is also, like, intended to be a, disappointed, uh, a disappointment <laughs> for readers. Uh, because, you know, after Wizard of Earth, you assume that this yeah. is Ged's time to shine, uh, he's coming to his own, he's in full control of his power, he's got it all back, uh, it's time to see him, like, <laughs> kick ass. <laughs> and, and the next time we see him, he's infiltrating... Uh, the labyrinth getting immediately <laughs> captured by a child, and then spends 90% of his lost. appearances like being underfed and on yeah, and lost. Yeah, um, and then at the very end, we learn that no, uh, he's he looks this way because he's been spending all this energy on like the actual dark uh gods <laughs> who reside in this place, and he's like basically uh single handedly. Uh, holding their roof up over their heads um it's really good i i really like uh how uh you know as, as a first time reader i was completely ready to to believe this was all made up and then gets like no this is super real i'm i'm having a really hard time in here uh it it's really good i i you know it's um yeah i, I enjoy it a lot um, what was your experience with this, uh, Sol, as a first-time reader? Yeah,
1: I think it was um, sort of similar to what you were saying. Just, um, you know, when Ged does show up, you know, you sort of expect sort of this typical hero to kind of, like, save the day. And, you know, he really doesn't do that. And they're sort of playing a little bit for a while, I guess, sort of in the middle part of the novel, sort of this cat-and-mouse game where she's trying to, like, you know, trap him and sort of get information out of him and, like, learn more about the labyrinth. Um, which I really enjoyed. I thought that was one of the, the sort of the highlights of the novel. But, you know, as they're sort of developing like this connection, um, you know, you really sort of start to see like the layers of, like this duality of like power. And um, I think as a character, like, uh, like at the beginning, you know, she's very, you know, bought in. And then as she sort of becomes more herself, more this, you know, person she really doesn't even know um she in some ways loses a little bit of agency but i do think that was sort of by design because she really doesn't know like who she is she's even you know questioning like who am i you know if i'm not this priestess like i'm basically nothing i'm an empty empty vessel um if i don't have that identity so i really i liked how this book even though it's you know stylistically different still continued sort of that journey of self-discovery and finding your purpose um the, the first book really tackled
0: yeah and i think there's that element uh as you say again of like letting yourself be vulnerable and let yourself be like led uh by someone else uh not thinking you have the weight of the world upon your shoulders um in the way that uh, Tenar comes to maybe not trust Ged at the very beginning, but like lets some of the childish curiosity uh, guide her. Um, and that's how she makes a connection with, with him, um, to the point that uh, at some point she's like leading him, uh, trying to um, save him from... Uh, is it Casal? Yes. Yeah. um, Casals found out that she's, like, keeping Ged as a pet, (laughs) basically, in the labyrinth. um, And she's coming to kill him, so she runs to the labyrinth and tries to, um, you know, lead her astray and and put Ged in a safer position. And at that point, um, you know, by being willing to to risk herself like this, she, like, unconsciously exposes her name to, to him, and, uh, you know, I, I get chills, uh, <laughs> reading because she's being called Arha by everyone. And she calls herself Arha, which is the name of the priestess in, in this religion throughout the entire book. And, and gets is, is able to like deduce her name or, uh, in one of the like best displays of magic in the book, um, where, where he's able to like call her Tenar, um,
1: that Shadow Drop, the name.
0: And, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I did like a, um, you know, like a fist bump in the air <laughs> with it because it, you you know there's something going on, right? That, you know that connection being being developed and she's um, starting to to trust him and there's that theme of like relying on others again, um, and and I think it's said very explicitly. I've read before uh, like criticisms of this book uh, where people read the book as like having get rescue Tenar. Um, which I think couldn't be further from the truth, uh, because they rescue each other, and it says as much in like the uh, bit where they like put their um, halves of the ring together, mm-hmm. um, and and she's finally like willing to be entirely led by Ger, uh, but it can only happen if she trusts him and she's able to uh, provide him with the resources that he needs. And, uh, yeah, th- I, I think that really reinforces um, the, the themes of this first trilogy about, uh, you know, trusting one another, about not trying to solve everything by yourself. about And this is something that Ged understands, because he's been through this, uh, but that doesn't allow him to just, uh, you know, bypass the, <laughs> the necessity of others, right? Um, he's, he's the one who's there for, like, trying to facilitate that uh, understanding for Tenar.
1: And I had actually had a quick question. Um, I don't know if we sort of skipped over it, but like she's known as like mm-hmm. um like the eaten one. Is yeah. that correct? Like so, when yes. they're saying that, do they? And I guess I sort of took this as literal. Like um, throughout the book, but like is her name like literally eaten from the world? Like no one knows yeah, it. Yeah. Is that what we're like, supposed to?
2: It is. Yes. To interpret her. Her being her name like her fundamental her her true name is taken from the world like that was the i think that's one of their rituals at the when she is younger and she is granted the name arha like her true name is taken from her by the nameless one um yeah like it is it is take yeah it is eden it is she is the eden one um and she is like, as you said, like, he is a vessel, like, he, even her, even her purpose as a priestess is still that of a vessel for the Nameless One, so there's, I think there, what you were saying earlier about her, um, having less agency after they escape by design is, is, is also echoing, like, what she, what she was in her life as as a priestess like a vessel
0: for others, yeah, um I, I feel it's like through this like period of exploration and like childish curiosity which it's her to not killing get or like getting rid of him immediately, um but like being willing to to understand more of him, uh even if it's indirectly and like not directly asking him at first. That allows her to like regain her name, um, you know, through through that relationship. Um, some some things we didn't mention. Um, she also has a second friend who's like a. What what a do they call her? Um, is it another priestess? Is it a? Um, what's her like role? She's like a minor <laughs> minor priestess. <laughs>
1: yeah, I took it to be that she wasn't like part of like the same I guess same no she, she was basically a, a
0: servant right? yeah
1: more of like a servant type of role because she got I remember yeah. at the beginning she got punished whereas um, they couldn't punish to, you know Tanar so definitely seemed like yeah she was more of a, a minor minor role and you know if, didn't didn't completely buy in. Cause I remember they, there was a little weirdness between the two cause she, um, her friend was, you know, pretty much a non-believer, you know, only there because I believe they said like her family had too many children. So that's how she ended up there. She was just sort of sold to the, the yeah. temple. So she had sort of a more, I guess, radical view or an outside view. Um, versus, you know, this very strict religion that Tanar had grown up with accepting as being, like, the only truth.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting uh, that she's definitely a skeptic um, in all of this, uh, and she ultimately... I don't know if she ever learns uh, she was wrong, but the, the book makes it very explicit, um, which is also kind of, uh, I, I think, a deliberate uh, way of... Misdirecting the reader in like making uh, us believe that she was right uh, when no this this is a a world of magic right um which I that's another point I wanted to touch on uh, I think get mentions at some point that being uh, so far away from like the center of magic in Earthsea he's less able to use names in the way he would if he was like closer to. The school, or on a place of, of the kind of magic he wields. And I think there's this like implication that magic shifts, or, or the way in which it manifests and it can be controlled kind of shifts depending on where you are. And uh, that makes me think again of her, like, um, parent's profession and like her influences in anthropology and, and so on and so forth, because I really like the concept of like magic systems actually changing based on like the culture and the culture being, um, you know, kind of feeding back into the way you tap into magic. Um, so again, the, the kind of more central archipelago locations and cultures being very focused on names and dragons and oral tradition um, while the Kargish, um, seem to be less about that, and that lessening the power or or the the, the potential uh, of Get's um, skills is is really interesting to me.
1: Just even having like that like cultural resistance really could be like feeding back into him, like you were saying, like limiting his power.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so after uh they make their escape the entire temple collapses uh there was there were like these i think it's like monoliths um surrounding the labyrinth or yeah basically providing a structure for the labyrinth and they collapse um as i said get was barely able to like hold the roof over their heads uh for them to make their escape um the whole thing goes down Uh, And there's this extended epilogue of just uh, Ged and uh, Tenar traveling together, making their way back to Hafnor, which is where the uh, king of, um, is it Ersie? Or is it like a portion of Ersie resides? Um, And that's who uh, Ged intends to give the ring to so that peace can reign again in Ersie.
1: Like the heart of the empire sort of seemed like it was.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is kind of like, I don't know if this is an empire um, exactly, because I don't think we have enough of their like practices to to call it that. But it's definitely like the center of their civilization, of what they would call civilized, um, you know, territories. Um, There's a a bit with um, Tenar kind of being really conflicted about what she wants to do next. She's really at a loss, uh, and I think um, Ger ends up uh, leaving her with Ogion.
1: Yeah, that's sort of how they uh, conclude there. I I actually, I actually really enjoyed sort of having that sort of extended epilogue, like you called it, um, because I feel like most novels probably would have just sort of ended at the collapse of the the tomb, and you know, not really sort of explored like her her emptiness. Um, of right. finding that she, you know, you know, survived all of that, but like still, you know, doesn't know anything about her or herself or the, the world or anything going forward. Um, so I like that we had, you know, a little, little bit more sort of to explore sort of where she wanted to go and sort of see, you know, from her perspective, finally, you know, where she was sort of drawn to, and the kind of life she actually wanted to to live now that she had the opportunity to choose.
2: Yeah, because like, Ged was talking up, like, bigging up the Royal Society of Earthsea. I don't think they're actually like the kings, but they're more like regents, like because they, the ring, the ring that they lost was kind of like the the proof of, of royalty in Earthsea. Like, without the Ring, the broken ring, the, li- the royal lineage is broken as well. So uh, th- I think this is why it's important to put the ring together. But yeah, like Ged was b- bigging up this whole high society stuff. And even though Tenar doesn't know what she wants, she does know what she does not want. And she doesn't want that. And even though she, she does give up uh, her agency. Um, as after they escape the complex to, 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 to Ged's agency, here she does emphatically say that she doesn't want to live there, and it, it causes Ged to think about where, where, what would help her most at this time. And and he arrives at Ogayan who is also what helped him at this. Same point in his journey, and this is what you called up. Uh, this is what you brought up earlier, Serge. Like, Tenar hasn't fully recovered from her burdens, and just like Ged in her when he recovered at Ogaden, this is what Ged is recommending for her now.
0: Yeah, I, I really appreciate how respectful Ged is of Tenar's like internal turmoil and what she's going through. At some point, she says she wishes she could mm. stay like yeah, yeah. in the mountains of of, of uh, the Kargish. Uh, and Ged says, uh, okay, let's just stay here for as long as you want. Uh, if you want to live out the rest of your life uh, here with me, uh, we'll do that. And then she kind of goes, um, no, that that's kind of like just wishful thinking. We have to go ahead. Uh, so he lets her like work through it and it's not... Uh, like trying to force anything upon her necessarily Um, so I I think that goes a long way towards you know, she's being vulnerable, she's being led by him but it's not like he's trying to uh, force his you know, solutions and uh, way of thinking upon her, he's kind of letting her get to her own
2: conclusions I was gonna like speaking of sequel hooks, but we're not gonna spoil future books <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah um we'll we'll hear more of tenar yet if if you're planning to uh continue the saga which i highly recommend um i really like the third book and the the whole second trilogy is a really interesting like um course correction i don't i don't know if course correction is the right term but uh kind of rethinking of uh Erz's, uh kind of world and status quo in a really interesting way
1: revisiting maybe
2: yeah um, what...
0: yeah yeah uh since it's a literal of revisiting for for the author as well since she wrote uh the fourth book like 10 years after or 12 years after the first trilogy um so it's definitely um you know her kind of coming to grips with stuff she's she's learned and things she would like to like confront uh, from the original trilogy, which I think is really interesting. There's, yeah. like, a metatextual aspect there. Um,
2: it's, not really that, it's not just her changing, but the world changing and how Earthsea is viewed by the people who've read it. It's all, yeah, it's so the, the metatextual... I mean, yeah, this is also... It's it's, it's a revisiting, yeah. it's a reckoning of what came before as well. It's, really, it's much more... yeah. Let's leave it at that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so what did you think of these, like, two books, um, Sol? And are you planning to continue the the trilogy or, or even the whole series?
1: I, like I said, definitely didn't know what to expect going in um, and really enjoyed my time. Like, I, I think she works in a lot of layers. Um, I remember reading in the, like, the sort of her notes notes at the end of the book that she um tries to create fantasy that isn't like wishful thinking but it's more of a reflection of how she sees the world um and i think because she, she sort of approaches it that way she's able to really handle a lot of um deep uh deep topics and explore things that you know might not traditionally see you know and uh Book sort of intended for a slightly younger audience um so you know for me this is just sort of right up my alley so I definitely want to sort of continue going forward um you both have me intrigued sort of where that second trilogy goes because I'm sort of interested to see where she comes back you know maybe a decade later on and sort of her new reflection of like how she's seeing the world and how she's sort of reinterpreting that through her her writings so um yeah I definitely want to check out the the next book and keep going for sure
0: great um hopefully if uh you know you keep reading it we can come back to uh in some future episode um so i don't know if there's anything else you'd like to mention uh from the books uh
2: i think i think something i something that that you were saying about how ged figuring like dead showing his power not just by holding off the nameless ones by arriving at tenor's name really shows uh, a parallelism with the first book where the clima the climactic the climax was him figuring out the shadow's name and it's and it is in this power of naming where Ged's power really lies and where the magic of Earthsea really lies as well, like the fundamental nature of things, fundamental nature of people. And I think it's this introspection that gives Earthsea its biggest strength, like its ability to look inside. And this is also something that is carried on by the second trilogy in particular. Like It's an investigation of not just, the surface adventure, but the world around it, the people inside it, the people writing it, the people reading it, and yeah, I think that's what makes Earthsea so endlessly revisitable.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I think I feel like I certainly like um were able to was able to appreciate um. of this on a second uh, reading for me, uh, which I hope won't be the last. Uh, I really do appreciate these books. They're kind of a breeze to read for me now. Um, They're really short, really, like, they say a lot. Um, Yeah, I I hope to come back to these um, frequently, and I'll definitely, now that I got the chance to revisit these two, I'll definitely be going back to, to the rest of the series. Um, so, uh, with that, we've been talking for like two hours. Uh, This was a really good discussion. I I really enjoyed this. Um, thank you for, uh, joining me. Uh, thank you for joining us, G. Um,
2: thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Anytime. Um, so we'll think for, a of a name for this, uh, podcast. Now that we've learned of their importance, um, we, We'll be um, talking about, if, if things go as planned, um, the next book will be Babel or the Necessity of Violence by R.F. Kuang, um, an author who I know has written um, some other notable books whose name I remember. I, I don't know uh, The I'm Poppy sorry. War is your first um, book. It's... Yes, The Poppy Wars is is the first book in that series. Uh, I haven't read it. I, I know it's been heavily recommended to me. Um, so that's another one that goes on my list. Uh, I'm really excited about this one because I've read many good things about it. And like its confrontation with like yes. colonialism and uh, British Empire and all of that go- is like straight up my alley. So I'm sure uh, we'll we'll, be, we'll have plenty to talk about <laughs> uh, next month. Um, so if... Uh, any listener wants to follow me, they can find me at uh, Fireblend on Twitter or co-host. That's uh, F-I-R-E-B-L-E-N-D. And I'm going to plug my other podcast, which is a uh, study of X, uh, an exploration of X-Men's uh, Krakoan era, uh, starting with uh, House and Powers of X. So if, you, if that seems like something you'd enjoy, uh, give it a shot. Um, so, uh, where can people find you if you want to be found?
1: Well, at the moment, I don't really have any uh, socials set up, but um, you know, thanks for listening to the that's, the, the podcast. Th- that's an ideal scenario <laughs> as
0: far as I'm concerned.
2: Uh, I'm a hermit, but you can you would uh, great add me on Discord, I suppose. Uh, my name, uh, just add my Discord username to the show notes. All
0: right, Um, then that's it. Thank you for joining us. Um, Bye, and uh, read on. Bye.